0: I, uh, I am very proud of you guys today. Well done, church. We typically on a day when it's raining in Atlanta and it's daylight savings time, we have a really small crowd. So well done. Give yourselves a round of applause. I, we, we've been talking about the difference between living under the law and under grace. And so I want you to know that under the law, you got lots of points today for showing up. Uh, Well done, everybody. Uh, Those of you who are legalists, you've done really well by making it here today. We're proud of you. Uh, And we want to talk about that today. And uh, I'm just so excited about all the stuff that's been going on at Grace. Um, Hasn't Douglas done an amazing job last few weeks, kind of bringing uh, the foundation of this message? Uh, last week, I was in Washington, D.C. with our Washington, D.C. campus, and it was so cool, guys. I, sometimes we, we forget that Grace is this big thing with all of these different campuses all over the community, and so it's so fun to me, for me to be there. They met on Sunday night. It was freezing. It was like 20 degrees in D.C. It was snowing, and there was just tons of young people that came out, and all of these people that are working at, in D.C. You know, D.C. is run by 20-year-olds. I don't know if you guys realize that, but it's interns that are running around everywhere that run the city, and it's all of these folks that are in this community, future influencers, and so fun to see what God's doing in that space, and that God is continuing to grow the Grace family in really cool ways, and and, and Douglas has built a really amazing foundation as we look at Galatians. We're in the back end of Galatians chapter 2 today, and and I've just noticed over the last few weeks, like, I don't know about you guys, but as we've been talking about this, my, my legalism has come to the surface, and I've been aware of it a little more. Have you guys felt that? Like, I've just been aware of all the times I, I just get into this kind of under the law kind of phase uh, of my life. So, so this week, uh, was, we had Ash Wednesday this week, and, and, and Lent began, so we're starting into this season of Lent, and, and our family, one of the practices that we step into every year at Lent is we fast over something for Lent, and so we take that 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, and we just give up something, Um, and it's just a practice that I started very early on in my life, and it's been really beneficial to me. Um, I kind of love breaking a fast on Easter, because Easter is kind of a big deal for us as Christians, and it makes it a little more fun for me when I get to eat something awesome that day, or something like that, because I gave it up, Uh, and so for me, it's a fun time to kind of look forward to Easter. It's a fun time to just be reminded of the season that we're entering into. Um, but as we enter into this, when, when you start fasting, it takes you right into this, like the rules and regulations of fasting. Are you with me? Uh, and so what I decided to give up was fried food. Um, I, I just like, I, I, I like like a, a chicken sandwich, uh, and, and I like fry, french fries, and, and I like nachos, and I like, like there's, and, and one of the things I didn't realize is how many things are fried. Uh, and, and so now that I've stepped into this, I'm starting to realize more and more. So our family, um, my kids have given up things and and the debate is on about like what are the official rules of Lent, right? I don't know if you guys do this in, in your own life or in your family, but but the kids are like, well, is Sunday a Sabbath? Do we get to eat stuff on Sunday? Uh, is, do we get like... Like, I, I gave up, like one of my kids gave up chocolate, but she ate a chocolate chip cookie, and then she was like, oh, no, am I in trouble? Like, what happens here? Uh, am, am I done? Do I quit fasting now? Like, what do I do? Have I failed the fast? Uh, and, and we were going out to see a movie Friday night, and, and we went to a burger place, and, uh, and I ordered a grilled chicken sandwich. I was very specific. Grilled chicken sandwich. And uh, the movie started in like 20 minutes, and I hadn't eaten lunch that day, because it was a Friday, and I had a bunch of stuff going on, was running around everywhere. And they bring me my sandwich, and guess what it was? Fried chicken sandwich. And I'm sitting there, and I said, Lord, I know the rules. (laughs) Like, I know what I promised you, but I also know if I don't eat... I'm gonna be grouchy for this entire movie, and there is not time for me to get another sandwich out here that is the right sandwich. And so I ate a fried chicken sandwich, guys, I'm sorry. I'm confessing it to all of you. I ate a fried chicken sandwich. I failed my fast in the first week. But, but as you get into this stuff, as you start talking about the law and about grace, It just starts popping up everywhere. Yesterday we did Grace Dialogues here. How many of you were here for Grace Dialogues? We had an awesome conversation about the church and about race and and, and just an amazing group gathered. Uh, And and I had to leave early. Uh, And so I, I have to stand up here and talk to you guys on Sunday and I try to prepare for that some. And so I know I needed to do that some yesterday and then I had promised my 16 year old son that I was gonna take him out to drive, right? Which, law and grace, there's a lot of that going on during that ride also. Uh, And and so I had promised him we were going to practice driving together and I knew I needed to finish this up and I had this thing that I needed to do in the yard. But Grace Dialogues was going so well and the conversation was so awesome. And then I just had this guilt like fly over me like I shouldn't leave. Why am I leaving everybody 's going to think that i 'm a sinner if I leave everybody 's going to think i 'm a bad pastor if I leave that i 'm not and I started like, condemning myself about all of this stuff and then I felt like I needed to walk around and tell people in the room why I was leaving because if i couldn 't just leave because then I would definitely be a sinner if I just left in the middle of it and so I went to Bethany who was leading the event i said i 'm sorry here 's what i 'm doing I went to like the, the, the spiritual leaders, I went to Tuttle and, and Douglas and, and Harden in the room, and I confessed my sin of leaving, and I talked to them about how I was going home, and then I'm driving home, and I'm just feeling guilty the whole time, and, and I caught myself. I caught myself in my legalism, and I just said to the Lord, like, Lord, am I all right to leave? And I just felt like the Lord was like... Please leave like, like, it's okay you don't have to be at everything that happens at the church you don't have to be everywhere and it's like you don't have to carry this guilt with this thing going on here but what i'm recognizing in me is there is this legalism thing that runs through me uh, a friend of mine says fundamentalism dies hard i don't know if you've experienced that um, but I know that I have. And, and as we dive in to Galatians chapter 2, when we talk about legalism, a lot of times we talk about legalism in how we deal with others, right? And I think that's really important because what we do is we hold other people to a higher standard than ourselves because we look at their lives and, and, and we tell a story to ourselves about them and we hold people to different standards and we, we want to decide who's in and who's out based on the law and we want to kind of have our boxes that we put people in and all those things. And it's really important for us to think about legalism through the lens of how we treat others. But today I want to focus on legalism and how we treat ourselves. I want to talk about what legalism does when it lives in our own hearts and, 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 breathes, and, and, and breathes all about us. Because if we believe that God only deals with us with the law, then we have a broken image of who God is. A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God. And so we have an image that is distorted of God, and we only see law and don't see grace. And then what happens is when we look at our own lives, we find ourselves in shame and guilt and condemnation all of our lives because we're not good enough, because we're not accomplishing enough, because we're not doing enough, because we ate a chicken sandwich and we left Grace Dialogues early. And we live in this cycle of shame and guilt, and sometimes we don't know what to hate, so we hate ourselves. Sometimes we don't know how to live, so we we just pile this shame and guilt on top of us. And I don't know about you guys, but I was actually brought up in some of this stuff. How many of you would say as a child you were taught much more about the law than you were about grace? A lot of us. Let's not do that to our kids. Can we all agree? Like, let's, let's be about, our church's name is Grace, so let's teach that, right? Let's, let's talk about that a lot. Um, because what it does is it does this terrible thing to us. Um, Margaret Thatcher, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, once went to a retirement village to spend the day with a bunch of women at the retirement village. And as she was there, she sat down with the woman and started eating lunch with her and, and just was having this nice conversation with her. And, and, and eventually she looked at the woman and she said, ma'am, do you know who I am? Because the woman just wasn't kind of acknowledging that she was a big deal or something, right, in this moment. She said, do you know who I am? And, and the woman looked at her and said, I, no, I don't know who you are, but if you need to know, the nurses will always tell you. They, <laughs> they, they tell me all the time. And when I, when I forget... And and what Galatians is talking about here is, is this radical reorienting ourselves around grace, which means there is a new identity in Christ, which means the old is gone and the new has come. It means we're learning from scratch who we really are, and we're diving into this new identity. Paul's phrase that he uses over and over and over again is in Christ, in Christ which at that time is this beautiful reminder that what is true of the king is true of us. So in that time, if, if, if you served a king or an emperor or a ruler who was generous, then your whole community was known for their generosity. If you served a ruler or a king or an emperor who was courageous, then the whole community was known for their courage. And when Paul says we are in Christ, it means what's true of Christ is true of us. It means the life he lived is the life that we're invited into. And there's this huge debate that begins of, wait a minute, if we're not under the law anymore, then how do we keep track? How do we know who's in and who's out? How do we patrol the borders of all of this? And what if somebody does this? And what if somebody does that? And what if? And it brings up all of these discussions about how do we live? How do we choose this identity? So God's people had been known for their identity as a holy race, as a chosen people, as a people who had been set apart. And their whole identity was wrapped up in the fact that God chose them because they're special. And suddenly, Paul comes along and starts teaching a, a, a new gospel. He starts teaching the gospel of Jesus, which says, no, this is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. This is not just for the people inside the doors of the church on Sunday. There is grace available for people outside the walls of the church every day. This is not just for the people whose lives are pretty and cleaned up and dressed up nice and show up on Sunday on a super holy way when they had to sleep in, when they could have slept in. This is for everybody. And everybody starts freaking out about this. And this huge debate begins about who are we now? Because here's the thing about the law. The law is measurable, right? Like when, I, when I'm keeping track of the law, I know like, okay, today I, I, I messed up four times. Uh, there were four times, I, that's, Four is probably ambitious, isn't it? There's probably a lot more than four in our lives. I'm not that holy, right? I messed up a certain amount of times today, and I can kind of keep track of that. Or I can look at other people's lives, and I can say, mm-mm, all right. yeah, I'm not so sure about that one. I'm not so sure about that John Moxley over there, right? I'm not so sure about, all right. We can, we can look at people, sorry, John, uh, we can look at people, and we can just say, I can, I can gauge these things. Um. And, and, and legalism is looking into anything other than Jesus to become acceptable and clean before God. It's looking to any other thing than Jesus to become acceptable and, 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 and clean with God. So Paul and Peter are duking it out here. And I love that Paul doesn't come to Peter and say, you're wrong. He doesn't come to Peter and say you're not following the law. He comes to Peter and doesn't say you've broken all the rules. He comes to Peter and says, You've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten the good news that Jesus taught us. You've forgotten that this is available to everybody. You've forgotten all of those things. And and Paul's summary of the gospel is this. And 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 I I, I, this morning as I was preparing, I, I get really excited when I have a really inspirational word for you guys, right? I just know that there's some mornings where there's, there's going to be some fire coming out, right? I, don't, I just, I get a sense that the Holy Spirit's getting ready to blow something out, right? Uh, and then there's sometimes when I wake up and I'm like, this feels like a Bible class, right? This feels like a seminary course. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm much less excited about seminary course and Bible class than I am about fire if that makes any sense. And so this morning, I was praying about it, and I was like, Lord, give me some fire, right? Come on, like, I got some, I got some big Bible words and some theological terms I wanna throw around, and I, I wanna dig into this and dive in, but I also, and, and, and I, as we were praying up here with the worship band this morning, everybody was just saying, just, let's just do what the Lord told us to do. Let's just bring what the Lord told us to bring. And so I'm gonna throw around some Bible terms this morning that feel like big churchy words, right? And if you are not, have not been around the church, I hope this is helpful for you. Um, I think these terms and this knowledge is helpful for us to build on so that we understand what we're talking about when we say under grace and under the law. And the first of those is Paul's summary of the gospel. Paul's summary of the gospel is this, justification by faith. That's his summary. Justification is the same thing as being clean. Justified is to be worthy of fellowship with God. And so the question is, under the law, how did people become justified? They just had to do, right? They had to accomplish the law. They had to get everything right. They had to be holy. They had to not break the rules. They had to not eat chicken sandwiches that were fried, even though they brought them a chicken sandwich that was fried, right? These were the things under the law that everybody had to live into, And then the debate now, the debate at that time was constantly, what's clean? What's clean and what's polluted? And so there was this constant managing of my life and managing of everybody else's life to discern, is this clean or is this polluted? Is this thing that we're stepping into clean or polluted? So if I eat with these people, do I become polluted? If I sit on this chair, do I become polluted? If I work on the Sabbath, do I become polluted? If, if I don't read my Bible enough, do we become polluted? If we listen to certain music, do we become polluted? If we go to dueling pianos, do we become polluted? Right, whatever it is that we do, do we we do these things and do we become polluted? And Paul suggests that cleanliness is not the way that we get to God and he changes the entire playing field. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 23 to the people who were the keepers of the law, who were the regulators of the rules, who were the ones who were constantly saying clean or unclean, clean or unclean. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but in the inside you're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What he's saying is, God doesn't accept us because we've managed to clean ourselves up. He actually sent Jesus to cleanse our sins. The opposite of justified is condemned. The opposite of justified is that we're condemned. The opposite of it is that we don't have a right standing with God, that we don't get fellowship with him, that we're not invited in, and we're not acceptable to God because we become righteous. We become actually righteous because we are acceptable to God. Justification is like the transition from a condemned criminal waiting a terrible execution to an heir waiting an amazing inheritance. It's incredible, incredible good news for us. And so Paul is trying to break all of this down and trying to have these conversations. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 says, I know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So if we're justified by what Christ has done. Then we're also not justified by what we have done. Which I don't know about you guys. But that's really good news for me. Because if God kept a record of wrong of all the wrongs that I had done. And there was a list of all of the times that Ben had blown it in his life. Fallen short of the glory of God and made mistakes. That's a really long list. Verse 17 says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ then promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would really be a lawbreaker. So people start asking now, if the law goes away, does that just mean we can go and do whatever we want? Does that just mean we can go and live however we want to live? Do we just take this freedom and run with it and just fulfill all of our desires and do whatever our heart longs for and just say, it's all right, we've got grace, we've been forgiven, so let's just have fun and do whatever we want to do. There's this fear of freedom, but there's also this understanding that under grace, this requires a new imagination for God's people. So if someone who is justified by faith tries to use that justification in order to go off and live in sin, then one, they don't understand grace, and two, they don't understand Jesus. So there's a lot of people who want to meet with me, and what they want me to do is to sign off on their lives. Do you guys have friends that do this? So they want to meet with me and say, Pastor, we, we just moved in together, and we're not married, and we want you to say that's good. And I'm like, I love you guys. And I want the best for you, but I don't think that's the best for you. Or they'll say, "I'm, you know, I'm living this way, or I'm doing this thing, or I, I'm, I'm, I." They want, they, they kind of want you to come and just say, "All right, it's all right, it's all right." There's lots of grace, which there is, but but we don't get to just sign off on everybody's life and say, "You know what? Go ahead, go do what you want to do, live however you want to live." Verse 19 it says, "For through the law I died to the law." so that I might live for God. So here's what Paul is saying. He's not saying I died to the law, so I just throw it aside and never lean into it or live into it or acknowledge it. What he's saying is I died to the law's power of salvation. I died to the power of the law to save me. I did not die to the power of the law to turn me into the person that Christ is making me into. Does that make sense? There's there's this sanctification is the Bible word. Sanctification is becoming holy. It's it's kind of this lifelong process that we lean into of becoming who God wants us to become. And then there's justification, which is becoming clean. And and here's what Paul is saying. It's It's not an either or, it's both and. We want justification and sanctification. We want grace and the law. We don't live into just one of them. We understand there is power in both of them. So we've got a little grid here about justification and sanctification. We're gonna get into like Bible class here for a minute. So justification happens at the moment of salvation. Sanctification happens after salvation. Justification is a one-time event. I am one-time justified. Sanctification is a lifelong project of me becoming like Christ. Justification is for salvation, sanctification is because of salvation. Justification is finished at salvation. Sanctification is finished when we reach heaven. Justification is by grace alone through faith. Sanctification happens by learning to follow and obey. Justification says my sins are covered and forgiven. Sanctification says my sin separates me from God's plans and God's power. Justification says I don't have to earn sanctification says yes there is an effort one of my favorite quotes about salvation is we don't earn it but there is effort involved in our grace that follows up salvation right so we don't we don't work for our salvation we work from our salvation we don't work for our justification. We work from our justification. We don't work to be saved. We work because we're saved. When, when I was a teenager, I, I, I think my parents uh, were terrified of what I was going to become. I, I'm starting to realize that's probably true of all teenage parents uh, in the room. Uh, And you start to worry about what's going on with your kids, you start to worry about the future and start to worry about what it holds for them and and all the things that are involved in that. And I just, I can remember having something click in my mind where I stopped wanting to obey my parents because I thought they were right, and I started wanting to obey my parents because I trusted them and I loved them. Now, it was late in my teenage years that this happened, right? Early on in my teenage years, I had not figured this out. But the older I got, I started to realize, like, my dad is really smart. Kids you are teenagers right now, you think your parents are stupid. When, when, when you turn 21, you'll realize they're the smartest people in the world, right? Uh, and, and so, like, I, I used to think, like, I I just have to follow my dad because that's the rules and because that's what's right and that's the way to do it. And then what I eventually started to realize is I want to follow my dad because my dad is usually right and I trust him and he's good and he wants the best for me and I love him and don't want to disappoint him and so I want to, to serve him out of obedience. The connection we're constantly making to our children about obedience is obedience is always tied to love. When obedience is tied to love, it changes our perspective on why we want to become holy. I want to become holy because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be sanctified because I want, I want the life that he lives to live in me because I trust him, because I believe his ways are better than my ways, I believe his plans are better than my plans, his dreams for my life are better than my dreams for my life, and so I learn to trust him, and I learn to obey and walk into him, and so the law does not become the thing that I earn, it becomes the thing that I strive for, and so here's what happens. Jesus, this is, this is so helpful for me, I was learned this in seminary, and it's been the most helpful framework for me as I think about this. The law always points me to Jesus. Because I don't know if you've tried to obey the law perfectly. Just try for the next 24 hours. See how well you do. I'm going to break it to you. You're going to fail. Right? I can't make it through one day without breaking the law. I'm not talking about like, you know what I'm talking about. Not, not, the, not like police law. Like the, the Bible law, right? right? Like I, I, I can't make it through one day by following everything that's in here perfectly. I'm going to make mistakes. My, my thoughts and my mind, like my heart... Uh, My my motivations, like there's all of these things that flow out of me. And so what happens is when we try and accomplish the law, it points us back to Jesus to say, I can't. I cannot do this. But here's the beautiful thing that Jesus does. The law points us to Jesus, and then Jesus points us right back to the law. And Jesus says, yeah, you can't. I did it for you, but I want you to trust me. I want you to love me. I want you to obey me. And I want you to know that these plans that I have for you, these ways that I've asked you to live, they're actually really good for you. And they will change the person that you are. And they will change the family that you live in. And they will change the community that you operate in. And I want you to learn to trust me, not so that you earn salvation, but so that you become like me. There is no greater joy. For a father than looking at their son and saying I think I did something good there I think there's some of me in him right I look at my kids and I'm like oh there's there's some nasty stuff of me that they got and there's some good stuff of me that I got Jesus looks at us and says I just want to give you all the good stuff all that I have all the authority and power and presence of God I give to you and, and, and so sometimes what our journey into faith looks like is it looks like this grid. We call this the cycle of religious entanglement. Um, this is what living under the law looks like. So here's what living under the law looks like. It's uh, I show up to church on Sunday. The pastor preaches a really convicting message and I feel guilty. Anybody been there? And so what I decide is I'm gonna try harder. I got this follow the rules this week the pastor talked about being a perfect husband i am gonna be a perfect husband this week and then tuesday my wife shows up late and i get irritated and she leaves her shoes on the floor my wife does that a lot shoes on the floor guys it's it's the little things isn't it and the shoes on the floor set me out and and i was trying harder to be a perfect husband Then i but then i just get tired right i i i I can't be a perfect husband. I keep making mistakes and so I quit, right? I'm done, I can't do this. And then I show up to church the next week and there's another message and this message is about being a perfect father. And I'm like, oh, I gotta be a really good dad. I'm gonna try harder this week. I'm gonna hang out with my kids, but then my kids start doing the things that my kids do. They start complaining when we're doing stuff for them. They start like, getting irritated, like they fight in the car. I don't understand why when, the moment we enter into our minivan, fights begin. Are you with me? Like the moment we get in the van, there's just a war that breaks out every time. We have tried every strategy imaginable. We've done the separation. We've done the everyone put on headphones and don't talk to one another. We've tried everything imaginable. So I try harder, but then I get tired and then I quit. And I I want you to understand that I'm, I'm expressing this in a silly way, but this is not a silly way of living. I meet people every single week who this is all they know of their spiritual experience. Their whole life, all they have done is manage their behavior. It's just been a life of sin management and trying harder and feeling guilty and quitting and giving up and then saying, I'm gonna try again. I'm gonna try again. I'm gonna try again. I'm gonna try again. This is the cycle of living under the law. And Jesus says, this cycle is gone. Paul says, this cycle is actually dead. Because we don't live under the law. We live under grace. The law has died. So that. We can experience both justification. And sanctification. This is such such beautiful stuff. Verse 20. says I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in in me the life i now live in the body i live by the faith of the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me so i do not set aside the grace of god for if righteousness could be gained through the law christ then died for nothing if i could get if i could become justified by following the rules then why would christ go to the cross if i could just make it on my own by earning my own salvation then why would christ have to die uh, like, it would be like this scenario, your, your house is burning, and, and your, your, your whole house is burning to the ground, and your whole family's standing out on the lawn, and um, Brandon Dixon, who's a hero, shows up. This You know what? I probably shouldn't have used a name for this illustration, but we're going to go ahead and go with Brandon. I'll, I'll, I'll ask your forgiveness later. So Brandon Dixon shows up, and he's like, I'm going to save everyone, and runs into the house, and then dies in the burning inferno while the whole family stays in the yard. Everybody's like, That was really weird. What's wrong with Brandon? Why did he do that? That makes no sense. Why did he go in there and die for nothing? With me? Now, if the same scenario is happening and your children are in the house and Brandon runs in and saves your children, pulls them out of the fire and dies in the fire, then he becomes a hero who saved us. This is what it's saying. If Christ died and and, and if he died for nothing, if he died so that we could earn our own salvation, This is not the way it works. It would just be weird and and tragic and pointless if we went out and died for nothing. So the question here becomes, and this is where I want to land this ship, the question here becomes what do we do with our repentance? So if we understand we're living under the under grace and not under the law, the question is what do we do in our badness? What do we do when we don't follow the law? What do we do when we do make mistakes? What do we do when, as Scripture says, we sin and fall short of the glory of God? Now, if we don't have a relationship with him, we start with a relationship with him, right? We start with confessing our sins, repenting, and acknowledging him as both our Savior and our Lord. But here's the thing. If we're constantly living in the cycle that we just showed, and if we're constantly always condemning ourselves and living under this paradigm of law, then what happens when we sin is we do a couple different things. The first thing that we do is we, we, we go through this cycle of shame and guilt. And so what happens is when we make a mistake, we, we start to believe this. If I feel really bad about it, then I will be holy again. If I condemn myself, or if I beat myself up about this, Then I will have paid my penance and I will be seen as clean and holy and be able to have fellowship with God again. Way back in church history, people used to actually take whips and whip their own backs so that they would experience the penance of their sin. I don't think a lot of us use whips, but I think we use our minds as whips. I think we condemn ourselves over and over and over again. I think we live in these cycles of shame and guilt that repeats over and over again. And the depth of our repentance is built on the depth of our sadness or the depth of our shame or the depth of our guilt or the depth of our feeling bad about what everything happens. So what we do is we go through this cycle of shame and guilt. The second thing that we do is we fight to fix all of our behaviors, right? Just the cycle we just showed, we just keep trying harder. I'm just gonna keep trying harder. I'm gonna keep figuring it out, I got this, I'm gonna figure it out, I'm gonna come up with a new strategy, I'm gonna come up with a new plan, I got this, I'm gonna figure it out, and we just, we just fight or fix what's happening. The third thing that we do is we flee and we pretend. So we just imagine that we don't have a sin problem, right? We just imagine that there's nothing going on in my heart that's that's unpure. There's nothing in my life that needs to be surrendered to the Father. And so I'm just going to imagine and pretend that there's nothing going on that needs to be fixed or solved or worked on. I'm just going to kind of do my thing. And all of these are patterns of hiding and running from our sin. What Paul and what Jesus both suggest is that we don't hide from it. We don't run from it. We don't try and fix it on our own. What we actually do is we surrender it. We take our brokenness. We take the parts of us that don't look like Jesus. And we lay them at his feet. And we say, Jesus, will you teach me how to be a better husband? Jesus, will you teach me how to be a better father? Jesus, will you teach me how to... Whatever it is that thing. Since the garden, guys, what we've been doing with our sin is hiding. And the reason we hide is because we believe that we have to earn. The reason we hide is because we believe that when we make a mistake, we're suddenly seen as not justified and we can't have fellowship with him and we can't be with him, so I've gotta run and I've gotta take off and I've gotta go in this other direction rather than going to him. If I see him as a good father who knows me and loves me and actually planned for me to make mistakes, then what I do when I make mistakes is I bring them to him and I say, Father, I'm so sorry. I need more of you. I need more of your grace. I need more of your mercy. I want to love you. I want to follow you. And so I'm surrendering this to you and I need you to walk with me and show me and guide me and direct me. If we're living under the law, what we try and do is we try and fix it all ourselves. We Pull up our bootstraps. It's the American way, isn't it? Figure out, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to solve this. I got the answer to my problem and I'm just going to get after it on my own. And one of those allows us to face the truth about ourselves and reckon with ourselves and deal with what's happening beneath the surface of our life. And one of us allows us to pretend that nothing bad has ever happened. We we use this phrase a lot around here, but God meets us in reality. He meets us not in the place that we want to be, but in the place that we are. He doesn't always just meet us on the mountaintop He meets us in the valley, he meets us in the desert, he meets us in the road. He doesn't just meet us in our holy place, he meets us in our hurting place, he meets us in our angry place, he meets us in our wounded place. He meets us when we're not at our best. He meets us when we're not dressed up and looking pretty and showing up to church early. He meets us when we're skipping church because we've been out drinking too much the night before. He meets us all the time wherever we're at in our sin and in our brokenness. What we don't understand is that this grace is scandalous that the invitation of the Father is always come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are broken. Come to me, all who are far from me, that God is constantly inviting us in to a relationship with him, and he's constantly telling us, I want to meet you in the spot where you're sinful and broken and hurting. That's where I wanna be with you. I've told this story before, but there was a few years ago where I I was just really angry there was just a bunch of junk going on in my life at that time and i had had a lot of things that had disappointed me and frustrated me and, and, and I noticed it because it, it came out on my kids, right? I, I recognized that out of the heart the mouth speaks and so when my language and when something like just pops out of me, there's something going on beneath the surface. And so what we, what, we, what we do when that happens is we start paying attention to that, right? We start getting curious as to, okay, what's really going on? Because there's a cycle of hiding that just makes me say, well, my kids are annoying and so that's why I'm getting angry with them rather than acknowledging that there's something going on in me. And so when something happens and you notice like a disproportional response from yourself, what you need to do is to get curious about why is that happening? If you get an email in the middle of the day and all of a sudden it destroys your day, then it's worth paying attention to, like what was in that email that just hijacked my day? What was going on in me? What was threatened? What, was, uh, what, 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 what happened in that moment that made me disproportionately respond to everything? And so I'm getting angry with my kids all the time and I just recognize like I'm just frustrated and angry. So I, I decided I was going to um, memorize the book of James. That's what I was gonna do. It feels really holy. And there's a lot of things in James about perseverance, right? There's a lot of things in there about patience, and I, I just like, it felt like this really holy pastoral thing to do with my anger. Here's what I'm going to do with my anger: I'm going to memorize the book of James. So I sat down, first day, started memorizing it. Second day, started memorizing it. Third day, got tired. Fourth day, quit. And God in the middle of me in the fifth day trying to sit down and memorize James just kind of said to me, Hey Ben, I don't want to meet you in this holy pastoral place of memorizing James. I want to meet you in your angry place. And you're actually using my stuff to hide from me. And I had to say to the Lord at that moment, God, I'm disappointed in you. God, I'm angry with you. You promised that you would protect me, and I got wounded. You promised that you would be with me, and what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. The people that were supposed to protect me didn't protect me. And I'm mad. And the Lord said, Yeah, let's start there. So I got into counseling, (laughs) and I got around wise mentors. And I started confessing my anger, for my frustration with the Lord. And I met him in what was real. And then transformation started to happen. Here's the thing that we do with our sin when we live under, under the law. We hide it. So we never say to God, I'm angry with you. We never say to God, I'm just, and it's not like God doesn't know, right? He knows our hearts. He knows our mind. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. And so today, I I just wonder if there's some of us that have been trying to hide from God. And you've been trying to hide by a cycle of shame, or a cycle of trying harder, or or, or a cycle of just fleeing and pretending like nothing's going on. And and today, the Father just wants us to acknowledge before Him, will you meet me in reality? Will you meet me in my angry place? Will you meet me in my frustrated place? Will you meet me in my disappointed place? Will you meet me in this space where we can actually start talking about what's real? And so we're gonna come to the table. It's what we do every single week. And as we come to the table, we take the bread and we take the juice and we remember Christ's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And we're reminded that this is not about us earning or achieving. We're reminded that the cross is the way to God. We're reminded that the pathway to him is through repentance, it's through confession, it's through bringing our stuff to the table and saying, Lord, I wanna meet you at the table and I want you to meet me here as well. And so as the band starts to play and as you come to the table, I just want you to think about, is there something that you just have been hiding from him? Is there a part of your life that you've been trying to manage on your own that just needs to be surrendered? Is there a sin that you've been trapped in for a really long time and you've tried all the cycles you can think of, of getting out of it, except for the one where you just lay it at Jesus' feet and say, I need you to be with me. I need you to guide me. I need you to direct me. There's so much power in confession, both confession to Jesus and confession to one another. Scripture says that when sin is brought into the light, that's when it can be dealt with. When we actually name it, when we call it what it is, and we start to recognize what it's doing in our life, then we're able to see it, we're able to understand the lie that it brings into our life because every sin is a distortion of the truth. And so once we start to see the lie, it's like our unveiled faces show forth and we start to see clearly who God is and what he wants for us. But none of that can happen without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us and guiding us and directing us. And I would suggest the power of community. So I don't want us to become a a community that beats each other up about our sin, right? I don't want us to become a community that calls out the worst in one another, but what I do want us to become is a community that's honest enough with each other to bring our junk, to say I'm failing, to say I'm struggling, and to walk beside each other and call ourselves to something better. To say there's more in you. God has bigger dreams for you. He's got bigger plans for you. There's better hopes for you. There's a better life than this cycle of circling around and trying harder and getting exhausted and feeling tired. There is a cycle of grace that is love and that is good and that will bring you life. The greatest thing that our church needs is you to be fully alive in Christ. And the only way that that happens is when we live in community with one another and with Jesus in such a way that we are constantly urging each other on and calling out the best. And I also just want to say, I think there's some people in the room today who you have never accepted the grace of Jesus, and you've never accepted his salvation. And you've never said to him like, my way is not the right way. My way is not working. My way is not getting me anywhere. And so I wanna try something new. I actually wanna trust you. I actually want to love you. I actually want to obey you. I want you to be my savior who saves me from my sin and justifies me and makes me clean. But I also want you to be my Lord who teaches me how to be sanctified and to be holy and to walk with me day after day. And so we're going to invite our ministry team to come up front. And if you want to pray for any reason, if you want to receive this grace, if you want to pray for salvation today, they will be with you. And I can promise you as your church family, we will celebrate like champs over that moment. Easter's coming. And that's a big deal. And I don't get mad when we open up this baptistry on Easter. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't get upset when we say, hey, Easter's here, so let's baptize some people. Let's do that. Tyler might be upset a little bit. That's a lot of work for him. But we we will be excited and thrilled about that moment. So I'm going to pray. We're going to come to the table, and we're going to worship together and close out the service. So, Father God, I just thank you thank you that through your cross, and through your mercy, and through your love, you have justified us. You have made us clean. You have taken off the frame of our life that says guilty and ashamed, and you have given us a new identity which says we are sons and daughters of yours who are deeply loved and accepted and received. And I also thank you, Father, that you have given us your law and your rules and your regulations that teach us how to love each other, that teach us how to live in community, that teach us to be like you. And so, Father, we want to live into our identity. We want to know who we are, and we want to be ambassadors of your grace. We want to be conduits of your mercy. We want to be a people who know you and love you and walk with you, and we want to invite the rest of our community to walk with you as well. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in this room that I can't do right now. I pray that you would seek our hearts and know us and know the places where we're hiding from you. Know the places where we're stuck in a cycle of trying harder or feeling shame and guilt, and you would teach us that real repentance is coming to your table and laying everything down for you. So reveal those places in our life. Teach us to follow you. In your name we pray.